Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Well, back in the 1980s, there was a comedian by the name of Yakov Smirnov. And he was from the Soviet Union and had made his way to America. And most of his comedy routine centered around that reality. And one of his comedy routines went something like this. He said that he was going through a grocery store and he's just amazed at how great America is because he saw something that said powdered eggs, just add water. And he thought, incredible. And then he saw on another aisle something that said powdered milk, just add water. And he said, this is incredible. This is so good. And then on another aisle, he saw baby powder. And he said, America, what a country. Just add water. I wonder if we sometimes treat our salvation and baptism like that. Just add water. We started last week talking about baptism and Jesus' baptism and all that was involved in that and all that was communicated by that. Jesus' followers, men like Luke, who was a physician, Paul, who was a reformed murderer, Peter, who was a changed apostle, they all wrote about baptism. And so this morning, we want to dive deep into the water and see just exactly what it is. That God does in baptism. Well, there are a couple of strongly held views. There's more than that, but there's a couple of strongly held views when it comes to baptism that I want to identify just right at the beginning. One of those says that baptism is important, but it's not necessary. It's important, but it's not necessary. And there's a reason that that view is, is held by, by folks who want to be very, very careful to not violate the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. So that's, there, there's, a, there's a reason for, for coming to that conclusion. That baptism is important, but it's not necessary. There's, there's a, another view that says baptism is necessary because faith or belief isn't enough. And, and folks who come to that conclusion, again, have reasons for, for doing so and, and try to, to bring into view all the, the, the verses that seem to link very directly salvation and baptism. And so they, they conclude usually that God has a part and that we have a part. And the one view will turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by grace and not by works. Uh, The other view will turn to James chapter 2 and say that faith without works is dead. And so both groups believe in baptism. Both groups practice baptism. Both groups are saying some things right about baptism. And both groups are saying some things wrong about baptism. And I'm right about some things and I'm wrong about some things. But here's 
one thing I want to say this morning. I do believe that baptism is a work. And if you want to follow along in your outline this morning, I'd encourage you to do that because we're going to, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. I encourage you to take your Bible out and encourage you to mark. I do believe that baptism is a work. And I believe that baptism is the work of God. And I don't think that's just semantics. It's not just a way to use words. As I've studied and grappled with this more and more, this is a, this is a, a place that I feel good about landing. Because there are a lot of folks who have a lot of views on baptism. And I do think that baptism is a work, but I think that it is a work of God. Here's why I believe that. Because salvation requires work. That's true in any kind of realm that you want to think about it. Got Carrie down here and and others who have been or are firemen and, and we've got policemen over here and those guys find themselves in a situation sometimes where they need to save someone. And I would imagine that if you talk to them, they would say that saving somebody is work. And when it comes to God saving us, it required work. Hard work. And Jesus Christ did the work. Jesus Christ did the work of salvation. And don't ever forget that it was work. Jesus Christ did the work of salvation and he did it on the cross. That's why, well, it, it cost him everything to accomplish salvation. It cost him everything. It, bro- it broke his body. He poured out his blood in the process. It, it, he gave up his dignity. It, it shattered his dignity. And he gave his life. Required everything that he had to accomplish the work on the cross to save us. And that is why Paul can very rightly say in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. But I do believe, and again, this is where I come down, I do believe that like everything else that God seems to do, God loves partnership. God loves to work with us. He works on our behalf and he calls us to join him. And so I think that in salvation, there's something that we do. And I think Jesus tells us exactly what that is. Our work is to believe in Jesus and his work. When it comes to salvation, I think God does the work. But Jesus invites us to do something as well. And he he says in John 6, 
verse 29. He's having a discussion with folks. And he says to them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. We have a work to do and our work is to believe in Jesus and his work. And I think that's consistent with many passages in scripture. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household. John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation is work. God has done the work through Jesus on the cross. The work He gave us to do is believe it. Believe in Him. Believe in what he did. Now I'm preaching a series about baptism. But when we are trying to win someone to Christ, I don't think we should be preaching baptism. I think we should be preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is the story of the work that Jesus has done. The gospel. Baptism isn't the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. But it isn't the gospel. We should always be preaching the gospel. The incredibly good news that Jesus, who is both son of God and son of man, humbled himself and left eternal glory and union with God To separate himself for a while and come as a man, live among us, teach us, experience everything that we experience, overcome it perfectly, never sin. And he did it so we could know God and we could have a relationship with God. And he gave his life so that we could be saved. He gave his life on the cross, paid the debt for our sins. He was buried in a grave and on the third day, God in his power raised him to life. That is the gospel. And that alone is the gospel that has the power to save. And if we preach anything else, it has no power, no ability to do anything. That alone. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. First, the Jew. Also, the Gentile. And so the work required of the person hearing is to believe the saving message. And that's what Jesus says. The only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he sent. And that's what we need to be preaching. Always preaching the gospel. And what we need to be doing is calling people to believe it. And be baptized. That's the consistent story in scripture. Preach the gospel, call people to believe it, and they're baptized. And if they don't believe the gospel, if they don't believe the good news, if they don't believe Jesus and believe in what he has done, then baptism is nothing more than just adding water. 
and it doesn't produce a Christian. But if they do believe, if they do believe, then God does this amazing work in them and he saves them. And God does this amazing, incredible work in them through baptism. But it's not the work of the one being baptized. Baptism itself is even a picture of not working. The person who's being baptized is, is the person who has almost nothing to do. Just, just bend your knees and we'll take care of the rest. It's a picture of humility. It's fully and completely and only the work of God saving someone. And so I want us to dive deeper into baptism this morning and see what it is that God does in and through baptism. Because I believe that God in his wisdom has chosen the act and the moment of baptism to be a moment when incredible, marvelous, wonderful things happen in the life of the person being baptized, of the person that God is saving. So, let's look at the work of God in baptism. In baptism, God washes sin away. In baptism, God washes sin away. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on the name Got to believe in the right thing, calling on the name, being baptized. God does a work. He washes your sins away in that water, in that moment, through his grace, through your faith. That particular verse in Acts chapter 22 was spoken to a man named Ananias. And he's supposed to tell that to a man named Paul. And you know most likely the story of Paul. Persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus to do that even more. Christ appears to him and blinds him. And Paul believes. And Christ sends him on into Damascus and tells him that somebody's going to come to him. And Ananias is the one who comes to him. And this is what Ananias has to say to Paul. Get up. Be dunked. Have your sins washed away while you call on the name. Having your sins washed away implies that there is sin, right? Implies that there is dirt. Implies that there is filth. Implies that there is a need to be washed. And that's, that's all through scripture. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 is one place. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. What's that assurance? That we have had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience. And we've had our bodies washed with pure water. There is this idea in scripture that we need to be washed. That we need to be clean. That we need to be saved from the sin that is in us and on us. Because that sin separates us from God. That is the problem. That sin separates us from God. And Jesus came so we could be united with God again. This ministry of reconciliation that Jesus has given us. 
or that Jesus has and that he has given us because our sin separates us from God. It's, it's filthy, it's dirty, it stinks, and it needs to be washed away. And if you've ever had junior high boys, you know what I'm talking about. Bless their hearts. They can't help it. But very often they stink. And I raised two of them and I remember it well. And because of it, there needs to be some separation. Until there is a washing. And in baptism, praise God. He washes away our sins. What else does God do in baptism? In baptism, God unites us with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He unites us with the gospel. He unites us with the work that Jesus did to save. And the essence of the Christian faith is centered on a historical moment in time and place. And that historical moment in time and place is that Jesus was real and that he died and was buried and was raised. And that's the essence of our faith. It's built on that historical fact. We believe that he was died, that he died on a cross in Jerusalem. We believe that he was buried in the borrowed grave of another man and we believe that on the third day God raised him up and he walked in the streets of Jerusalem again. Those are the events that our faith is based on. Those are the events that are the core of the gospel, the good news that saves. And so Paul picks up this idea in Romans chapter 6, the first five verses. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite ways to talk about baptism. Because what the Holy Spirit does here in Romans chapter 1 is connect the very act of being baptized with Jesus Death, burial, and resurrection. And it beautifully, every time we baptize somebody without even using words, we are telling the story of the gospel. Because a person is being buried and they are dying to their self and to their sin. And they're being raised up. And by no power but the power of God, they are being made new and given new life. Every time we baptize someone, we tell the gospel story and so in baptism jesus god connects us to the very thing that is saving us the work of jesus and the work of god and so again baptism isn't the gospel but boy does baptism preach the gospel 
And it's the gospel that saves. And when we participate in baptism, we are participating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're retelling the wonderful story that saves. Another thing, work that God does as God works through baptism is that God gives us the Holy Spirit. And this one, I want to do a whole series on. So it'll actually be my shortest one here. Because this is such a gift, such a blessing. The Holy Spirit was, was this great promise in the Old Testament. This Holy Spirit was promised. And folks, we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the work of Jesus. And we have received the promise. The Holy Spirit. Because this new life that we are called to live, we cannot live on our own. And if we are trying to, we are wearing ourselves out. It cannot be done. Except through the power of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And in baptism... God washes our sin away and we're clean and we're not stinky anymore. And he, he wants to draw us close and hug us and tide and be with us always. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send one and it's going to be even better for you when he comes. And he has come into each and every one of our lives. When we were baptized. What a great, great, beautiful gift. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 is the passage we know the most. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that God does in baptism. In baptism, God gives us a new family. God gives us a new family. See, baptism is a uniting event in more ways than one. It's a uniting event. It unites us with Christ, but it also unites us with this incredible, massive family of people who are the children of God because they are in Christ. And so it unites us with others. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to to you. Okay, see, the world, our human nature wants to divide. And I am so guilty of this. I, I wish I were not like this, but when I when I interact with people and when I watch people, so often what I end up doing is differentiating myself from them and noticing how they're different or how than I am or how they might do something different than I do or how they talk different than I do. And we do this in so many ways. There's something in us, in our flesh and in the world that wants to divide and to separate. But not so in Christ. It's not that those differences don't exist. But it's that the thing that unites us is so much far greater and of more value than they are that they pale in comparison. And we're united and we're brought together. And Jew and Gentile are brought together. Slave and free. Male and female. We're all in Christ. Now in an America we don't think about class 
very much. And, and when we do, what we think about is that, you know, in our democracy, we're trying to get rid of all the divisions and all the classes, class distinctions. But throughout most of world history, in every society, there were class distinctions that were valued and that were promoted. And one of the ways throughout history that you knew what class you belonged in and you knew what class somebody else belonged to was by the clothes that they wore. And in the laws of the land, there were restrictions on what you could and could not wear because of the class that you were born into. And so isn't it so very interesting that Paul says when we are baptized, all the clothes that, dis- that define us are removed. And the only thing that we now wear is Jesus. He's our clothes. And when we see each other, we know exactly who and what we belong to. Baptism gives us this whole new family where we're all one. There's no distinctions. We're all children of Abraham. I think that's so interesting. He takes it all the way back to to the promise that God made in Abraham that he's fulfilling and completing in Christ. And we're all heirs. And the last thing I want to say this morning, there's so many more we could talk about, but the last one is in baptism, God gives us a marker event to look back on. I don't remember the date of my baptism. I wish that I did, but I don't. But I remember the event. And I remember the night. And I remember the sermon that got preached that convicted me. And I remember the conversation I had with my mom and daddy at home. And we decided I, it was time I was going to go back. We were going to go back to the church building and I was going to be baptized into Christ. And all these things were going to happen that we've been talking about. And we called my both sets of my grandparents, called my aunt and uncle. And we all got back up to the building. Brother Dooley, who was this very important Spiritual leader in my life baptized me. We sang, I surrender all. And nothing's ever been the same since. Oh, yeah, we went back home that night and had to eat supper. Had to get ready for bed because school was the next day. And that week I had baseball practice and piano practice. And I fought with my sister. So a lot of things were the same. But I'm telling you. Nothing was ever the same again. And I have that moment to look back on. It's a marker in my life. And that is how Paul most often talked about baptism. I find that so interesting. Because something significant happens there. And Paul always points us back to that. I never find Paul arguing about baptism. Honestly, never find Paul trying to prove baptism. Never find Paul preaching a sermon about baptism. Paul always and only preaches one thing. Christ and him crucified. So how does Paul talk about baptism? He always assumes it. He assumes That it was the most natural thing to do. That you believe in Jesus and you're baptized. He always assumes it. 
that the people in the churches that he writes to have been baptized. And he always reminds them of their baptism. He always talks about it in the past tense. When he, when he wrote about baptism, it wasn't an appeal for someone to be baptized. It was always a reminder that they had been baptized and that it meant something and that God did something and that something changed and they need to remember it. And so when he was dealing with problems in the church, he pointed them back to their baptism. And when he was dealing with immoral behavior and and sliding back into sin, he always pointed them back to their baptism. And when he was dealing with false teaching and heresy, he always pointed them back to their baptism. And when he was dealing with legalism and traditionalism, he always pointed them back to their baptism. It is the marker event that Paul points us back to. To reorient our lives. Because it reoriented our lives. Around Jesus. And so. To say what I said at the beginning. I believe baptism is a work. And I believe it is a mighty. Wonderful work of God. And it is where he washes our sins away. It is where he unites us. With the death. And the burial. And the resurrection of Jesus. It is. It is where he gives us the Holy Spirit. It is where he brings us into this whole new family. And it is this marker event and moment that he gives us to look back on and remember. How often in the Old Testament did he give markers and tell the people, remember, remember, remember. And so if you this morning have been baptized, remember. Remember. Everything that God did for you to save you. Never forget. It changed your life. It reoriented your life. Go back and remember and walk in that life and in Christ. But if you haven't, And I invite you this morning to hear the gospel that has been preached. Jesus and him crucified. To believe it. And to be baptized. To put your faith in Jesus and the work he has done to save you. And to participate in it. And to have your sins washed away. And to be united with him. And to receive the spirit. And and to be included in this great family. And to have that significant moment and marker event. To always look back on. We've got towels on the stage again. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to stand down here. And I pray. That you would believe. And you would be baptized. Let's sing.